0: We'll turn in your Bibles if you will to the Gospel of John chapter 15 we have been working our way through this conversation of Jesus Christ with his disciples and I want to again as I've done every week want to lay out our the big picture so you know where we are in it in the structure of this conversation as we have seen there is uh, a lot going on here. Jesus Christ is somewhat repetitive, which is why we're doing it thematically rather than verse by verse. Um, but remember, we begin by understanding the structure of our salvation, of our Christian life that was important to Jesus Christ to communicate to His disciples here on the E on the, the night of His betrayal. And so we find uh, that the Father has sent the Son. that this is one of those themes of John that we have studied. And the, fa- and the Son responded with obedience to the Father. So the Father loved us, sent the Son. The Son responded. He obeyed. He came and he made provision for salvation. That has not yet fully been accomplished at the, at the point of this conversation. Um, for us, of course, it is already accomplished because Christ has already died, buried and risen again and ascended and is in the heavenly places even now being our mediator, and so we, we stand in a little bit better position than the disciples who are hearing this conversation. But Jesus Christ was going to be the provider, and, and so he calls on men to believe in him. And even with his disciples, even at this very late stage, he was still a little bit frustrated that you should at least believe in the works that I do. And that's a beginning point. That is not really full salvific belief. Faith, but it is a beginning point, that it is a start. Believe in the works that you see, and then you should believe in the words that you hear, and then you should believe in me, that I am the Father, are one. That I am the deliverer, the Christ, the Messiah. And so we have seen a movement from belief to belief to belief, and not everyone made those transitions. Some believed the works, but then when they heard the words, they didn't like what they heard, and they turned away and became his enemies. Some believed the works and then believed the words, but then when it was time to believe that Jesus and the Father were one and that it was deity and of His necessity of his sacrifice, they turned away. That was too hard. And so we know that accepting one does not necessitate that you accept him fully. And so we find that uh, this call of God to believe is our response. And we looked at that as that third layer, if you will, of this conversation that... As the Father sent the Son, and the Son has made provision, we now trust in Him. And then in response to our response, and so that's what a relationship is, believe it or not. You respond, they respond, and that's a conversation. And so spiritually we have this relationship with God that as we place our trust in Him, our faith in Him, that He sends to dwell with us, in us, Holy Spirit. And we have seen, we spent uh, some time looking through his ministry that that is the response. And we saw it throughout this conversation as Jesus Christ revisits it again and again that the Holy Spirit will come when he comes. It is better for you that I leave that you might receive the Holy Spirit. And thus, we are in a stronger position today uh, without Christ being present with us because we have God within us, not that we have a deity, not you know, this human spark thing. No, we have Spirit of God that takes residence in the believer and guides us into his truth that illuminates us. Uh, and even prior to that, we looked at his work uh, with regard to the unbelievers, uh, the, the uh, work of convicting, of sin of righteous judgment. All of that is in these chapters. So the Holy Spirit was God's response to our faith. And so that was the promise of God, that those who believe in me, that we'd receive his Spirit of power, and, uh, and that we have now responsibility to engage Him as well. So not only are we believing in the Father and the Son, but now as well we are interacting with the Spirit. We saw that that isn't a given either, that we can resist Him. We can quench Him, and instead of what God wants us to be filled by Him and walk in Him. So again, we have this relationship that we were called to. And now with the Holy Spirit In us, we are called to a series of conditional statements, of conditional expectations of God that need to be met in order for our prayers to be heard, and not just slightly heard, but fulfilled. And so throughout this passage, one of the focal points we've looked at is, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. No wishy-washiness here, no maybe, no none of that. Ask, and I'll do it that that is the the repetitive and we're going to see in our passage today as well because it connects to every conditional statement um the ask and it will be done for you whether it's the father what's the son um, ask but don't ask amiss don't ask for yourselves and so we're going to see we saw some of that already we're going to look at that more down the road um, but remember all of this is when we see that kind of vital prayer life existing in our in our spiritual experience that Jesus Christ then says, all of this is for one objective for you. Um, You will have the Father's love, you will have fullness of joy, and you will have perfect peace. This trifecta of the Christian experience that is the calling card to the world and and should be demonstrated in our lives. So that's our objective, is to get to this fullness of joy, this perfect peace, and the Father's love uh, in us, fully expressed, Uh, And that one of the intermediate steps there between where we are and that acquisition is a vital prayer life. But there are conditions to the prayer life. And that's where we're at right now. We're right now in that layer of the conditions of the prayer life that Jesus sets forth here in this passage. We've already looked at several of them. And that began with believing uh, further. That is not only believe that he can save you, but that he cares for you and will care for every need you have that we can really trust him and should pray like that. Not as though God is someone we have to coerce, but rather he is a benevolent God who desires to do good for us. And if we view him that way and pray that way, uh, it will transform our praying. Uh, We also looked at the necessity of of the works. He says you need to do these works. uh, And we looked at those last week. This week we want to look into chapter 15. And we have seen some other ones as well. Well, Let's look at chapter 15 so we can get going here. And uh, I'll begin reading verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as you have kept I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These days I have spoken to you, that my that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one, than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I, whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. We'll stop right there. We have a twin a uh, conditional statement here. And I wanted to handle both of them at once, and uh, most of you already anticipated that wasn't gonna happen. Mr. McKillop already anticipated it in the selection of songs. I told him last night, I said, I can't do it in one week. And uh, so it's gonna take two. Uh, so we have this, this twin, and, and they're mutually re- required. So we're gonna deal with the, the prior one first and the secondary one. Uh, The secondary one is that you bear much fruit, which really links well with last week, and so I'm tempted to go with that one first, uh, because we talked about the works that we should do last week that are evidence of the reality of Christ in us, and that is certainly linked to the bearing fruit. But there is a requisite, a prerequisite even, to bearing much fruit that Jesus Christ describes here, and so I want to follow his chronology, and that is that we abide in him. And uh, this word, abide, is a favorite of John, and no wonder. It fits the mega themes of all of his writing. One of his mega themes is the necessity of the Christian to be faithful. That we are committed to Christ, not on a superficial level, but on a defining level. That is, that our commitment to Christ is what defines who we are, completely, completely. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and everything else, every other relationship, every other activity is, it, it pales in comparison, it, it comes nowhere close to defining me, certainly not my family name, that doesn't define me, whatever comes along with that, which usually is how too many people define themselves, well, I'm, I'm Dutch, I'm German, I'm Ethiopian, I'm whatever, well, that's You had nothing to do with that, (laughs) correct? You're the passive recipient of all that. Don't let that define you. Here we have the definition, and that is that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am one who abides in Christ. And that this is what the Christian life should be, what it it really entails for us. And so we have this word. And so John's going to use this word extensively. He's already used it. It's it's translated several different ways. For It's a very simple Greek word. Uh, but uh, it's translated several different ways for you in this passage itself. It's the, when you read the word abide and you re- read the word remain, that is the same identical Greek word. All right, so we could replace one with the other very easily, abide and remain. So I'm not going to go into all the distinguishment between those two because there is none in the Greek, none at all. And so you can see how often we said, abide or remain, just as we read those 17 verses of chapter 15. But this isn't the first time we've encountered this here in our passage, uh, in our our study of John, uh, because, and nor is it the last time, if you go into 1 John, you're going to see that word repeated. One of the concerns of John, being one of the last apostles still alive, was the falling away of the saints. That they were not sustaining their commitment to Christ. That there was, uh, for several reasons. One, because of a legalistic approach that said that was going back to the law that Paul addressed in others, and also because of the opposite believer, not the other extreme, which is a, a, a liberty that says I'll live however I like and easy believism. And so those were still there, those were there in the early century, first century of the church, both extremes. And John wants to communicate to us over and over again that one of the attributes of saving faith is its endurance. It, saving faith must be enduring faith. If it is not enduring faith, it is not salvific. That, and, so, um, we, and this is something we're going to struggle with a little bit in our passage this morning as we get into it. So I'm trying to lay some groundwork. And so this is a major concern to John, that we recognize that there are multiple levels of belief. We've already seen four levels now. And he calls us to the highest level of belief. And there are certainly many, many people sitting in churches today who believe at, on non-salvific levels. They believe in a sinner's prayer. They prayed once, sometime. They might believe in their baptism. They might believe in this activity. They might even uh, trust in in, uh, the Bible and things like that. But those, they are not at that level that John calls us to. He calls us to this full reception of Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's another whole issue that's out there. You know, whether we believe in lordship, salvation, I don't know how he can be your savior if he's not God. And that's the whole thing. If he's not, if he's God, then he has to be your Lord. Submit to him, period. Um, And that's John's whole statement. How do I know that I have eternal life? Well, that was the whole purpose of writing 1 John, and it really is one of the driving major themes of the gospel of John as well. And so here in his conversation here, with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ communicates, "I am the vine." God is the vine dresser, uh, which is an interesting place that He puts the Father in. The Father is the vine dresser. Uh, you might think He, well, He's the root, or He's no, He's the vine dresser. And so God is active in this. But I want you to notice that our sustenance, our our provision of spiritual vitality of life, is from Jesus Himself. He is the vine. And truly, as you say a little bit earlier, he declares, without me, you can do nothing. And so I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Now, we have a few vines out here, great vines out here in the front of the church, and uh, they have to be connected. Uh, The first encounter I really had with Vineyard was with my brother-in-law. I was living with his sister, my wife, in in a little house they had in the back of their property. And uh, we were newly married. And one of the things I did was I tried to take care of some of his property. He had a real job, unlike me. I was just an intern, pastoral intern. So, he had this nice tools, and I'm out there with a weed whacker. You know what happens when you weed whack a grapevine a branch of the grapevine, um, it dies. I don't know if you knew that. You accidentally cut it. Even if you try to tape them back together, it doesn't work, they die. Well, I didn't even know I'd whacked it. And he goes, I said, some, some, what happened? <laughs> One whole part of his vineyard was dead. I was like, oh, no, I think that was probably me. Because if you cut off the branch from the vine, it dies, and it gets very brittle, and and there's only one use for it, and that's to just burn it. And it's not even good to put in your, to heat your home with, because it's kind of like our tumbleweeds. You just burn those, and and you don't want to bring those in and burn them. And so Jesus Christ says, you're going to have to abide in me. You're going to have to remain in me. The idea that I'm going to be uh, attached to you somehow, but I'm not going to derive any of my spiritual vitality from you is foreign to the Bible. Jesus Christ says that's not possible. If you are not fully engaged with me, if you aren't fully dependent upon me, if you think you're going to get a little bit from me and a little bit from over here and a little bit from over there, and we do a lot of grocery shopping Christianity these days. I'm going to get a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And spirituality, not even Christianity. Uh, we're going to take a little bit from... And, and it's frightening to think how many times I confront people with, well, that's Hinduism, what you've just described. That's Taoism. That's Confucianism. that, that That's Eastern mysticism. And, and you go through some... What you've just described is Buddhistic. But you don't even realize it because it's been... Inundating us through a lot of media that brings these philosophies, the philosophy of karma. When I hear Christians talk about karma, I'm like, What are you? Don't. What are you doing? Well, we're grocery shopping. Jesus Christ says, Oh no! Remember, our God is a jealous God. What does that mean? He doesn't like being shared. He is not one of the gods. And when you go to India, one of the billboards they really put up trying to promote peace, they used to anyway, this was a lot of years ago, big billboard with all these names, you know, you had Muhammad up there, you had all these guys, and on the list of great re- religious men was Jesus. He was just one in the list. It was Because this is Hinduism, we just want to absorb all religions and kind of make them all one, and... And we can get caught up in that and not recognize Jesus Christ has an exclusive claim to us. You will exclusively derive your vitality, your Christian vitality, your spiritual vitality from me. I am the vine. And this goes right along with all the other I am statements in the Gospel of John we have looked at. uh, That I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the door. Uh, No one comes except through me. This is an exclusive statement. I am the vine. You're going to have to get your complete spiritual vitality from me. And this is something that we've already seen negatively responded to. I mean, he says, I am the bread of life. You're going to have to eat of me if you want eternal life. What do you mean? we got to eat his body and drink his blood? You know, and people stop following him. I don't like that. Doesn't, it's kind of unnerving a little bit. And so Jesus Christ comes back to this. I am the vine." And you're going to have to remain in me as the origin of your spiritual life completely. And this is the calling, that we are going to be consistently trusting in Christ with all of who we are and what we have. We're going to abide in him. We're going to remain in him. We're going to make that... Origin singular in our life. It is the defining element of who we are. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he calls us to abide in him. And of course, next week we're going to look at the result of that, which is to bear fruit. And we're going to see a progression through here of, of that and and the dependence upon abiding. And so we are already believers. We've already placed our faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That's not what he's talking about here, about abiding. And certainly there's an element there that it protects our Christian life, but it needs to be understood in the context of established believers. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, you need to abide in me. You need to keep your sustenance from me. You're going to have to remain here. You're going to to sustain yourself in me. This is not a tangential thing. I'm going to be going away. Remember, that's a big concern to them. Where are you going? Where are you? What, what? what do you mean you're going away? We don't like this. I'm going away. The Spirit's going to come. Uh, but it is important that in my absence, you understand your necessity for me to abide in you and you to abide in me. You're going to have to remain in me. And anyone that thinks that the human individual isn't a free agent and has the right to either choose to be in or not in Christ, is, the, is not reading the scriptures. The instruction is, you have a responsibility to remain in me. This is a condition of prayer life. Please notice this, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever, what you desire and it shall be done for you. Very clear promise, very direct, nothing missing there. What's the condition? Well, I'm going to abide in you. What What does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ is going to develop it a little bit more. And my words abide in you. One of the key elements of abiding in Christ is that the words of Christ, that is the word of God, the scriptures, abide in us. They take up residence in us. I'm not just talking about mental agreement with them. Much like we're talking about I am a follower of Jesus Christ, it is the defining who I am, so God's word defines what I think. It engages every element of my life, of my thought process, of my decision-making process, is founded on God's word. And so when I'm confronted with a dilemma, uh, whether it be a moral dilemma, whether it be a material dilemma, uh, uh, a puzzle, whatever, I'm going to confront it with God's word in my mind. I have to make a decision, and you are confronted with decisions all the time. What drives the decision-making model of your life? Is it God's word? And so we have all these resources available to make a decision, right? Do I buy this house? Do I do this? Do I buy this car? Do I um, marry this person? Do I (laughs) have these children? Uh, I'm confronted with all the decisions of life. We say, well, where's wisdom? Well, the Bible tells us where wisdom is. The fear of the Lord is the being of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It's to hate evil. We learned that, by the way, on Sunday nights. It's to hate evil. So now every decision comes back to a moral choice. Even some amoral things. And so I am not really that concerned. We go out into our parking lot. There's not a moral correct, morally correct uh, make and model and year a vehicle. Right? But is it a moral decision? Yes. Why? Because you are expending the resources that God has put into your care and you are managers of something that God has entrusted with you. And so then you explore that. Well, what are the resources you're exploring in the decision making that you're engaged in? Hopefully, you know, I hear feel well, lawyers tell me this, doctors tell me this, <laughs> my parents tell me this, uh, and I have to Stop people a lot and say, Well, what does God's Word say? Well, does the Bible care what kind of car? Yeah, it's kind of. The Bible asks the question Whose glory are you doing this for? Does the Bible care about the development of your family? Yes, greatly. Are we bringing those ideas in or are we bringing the traditions that were handed down from our forefathers? That's parents. You know, well, this is how our family's always done it. Well, does it? that's irrelevant for a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm abiding in his word, and I let his word define me, and thus my thinking is driven by God's word. Because I'm defined as a follower of Jesus Christ, so I'm going to follow his words. Let your my words abide in you. This is a condition of a vital prayer life. So when you're praying is what James describes as useless because you just pray for your own interests and uh, inappropriately. Uh, normally that's because your praying are not connected to God's word. What you are praying for isn't connected to God's word. And I love some of the old time preachers when you hear their praying and they pray scripture verses. And... Uh, There's an old adage about uh, one man that confronted a pastor who was praying scripture, and he's like, why are you praying scripture? He says, God wrote it. He knows it. Why do you have to remind him of it? Um, We're not so much reminding God of his own word as much as we are holding to it in our praying. This is in accordance with your word, and that engagement is something we see from Moses and others, and Job and others that want to engage God. Well, the way you engage God is through his word in your life. And so Jesus Christ says, you're going to have to abide in me. My words are going to have to have, remain in you. They're going to take residence in you. And so it's not fly by night. It's not occasional. It is the standard. That when you come and say, what do you think about this? I'm going to say, well, what does the Bible say about that? And not just because I'm the pastor and that's my job to say that, but it should be every Christian's concern. What does the Bible say about that? So people come to me and say, young, over the course of my ministry, several that were anticipating going, possibly going to the pastorate and were really disappointed in how negative I was about it. I said, oh, I'd like to be a pastor. I said, why? I didn't ask them, oh, why would you like to do it? No, I said, why? Yes, the tone matters. That's why speech is so much better than writing. Because um, tonation matters, doesn't it? And they kind of look at me, and I was like, oh, you don't want to do that. You, don't, you do not want to do that. And I say, pastor, why do you take that tone with people? Well, if I can talk them out of it, they have no business being in the pastorate. Same thing with premarital counseling, by the way. If I can talk you out of it, you have no business getting married. Okay, so I n- I hardly ever take a positive tone in the early stages of premarital counseling. Um, in fact, I kind of try to get them on each other's nerves just because see what happens. Um, I've succeeded once, I failed every other time, but I succeeded the one time. So you're trying to figure that one out a little bit. When we find <laughs> when we find the expectation of God is that we remain in his word and remain in him, that this is what is a prerequisite of good praying, we begin to see that, well, if I'm remaining in Christ and remaining in his word is abiding in me, uh, then figuring out God's will in any aspect of my life is a spiritual exercise and so it is certainly going to always be connected to my prayer life and that's exactly the point your prayer life cannot be tangential to the rest of your life and still be calling yourself a a follower of jesus christ it just cannot be and this is why when the scripture calls us to pray without ceasing It is not that you're going to be on your knees in fervent prayer without ceasing, but you're going to be praying without ceasing. I'm not just talking about a prayerful attitude. I am talking about actively engaging God throughout your day as he actively engages you through his spirit and his word are these things abiding in us do they remain in us or is it something we set on a shelf at church on the way out the door or on our dresser when we do we just set the Bible aside and it doesn't follow us what we have read if we're reading it no this cannot be you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ with that condition and so as we abide in Christ as we abide in as his word abides in us it 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 Makes prayer an intimate part of everything we do, and thus, as I go out to start the car, I I have an opportunity to engage Jesus Christ and talk with Him, and and try to figure out what's wrong with my truck. Why why won't this truck start, Lord? It used to kind of annoy me a bit because I thought they were kind of being a little disrespectful there, Um, but it really, with the right spirit, it's not. Because if who I am is a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm abiding in him, that is every aspect of my life, every step, every every event, including getting up in the morning, is a spiritual activity now because it is connected to Christ, it is driven by and motivated by God's word, and now it is going to bring prayer into a commonplace in my life that I could say I'm praying without ceasing. That is, I am in a fellowship relationship with God. And so as I'm, and the best way to relate this is with my family, with family relationships that you all share. Uh, When I'm in a vehicle driving and I have my wife right there, am I talking constantly to her? No, but we are not angry at each other. Uh, We are not not talking to each other. We just are waiting for something to talk about. We are in communion. We are in the same vehicle, in the same place, and we are in a a relationship that is open and honest and forthright, and we are not holding grudges against each other. We are not ignoring each other. Um, But uh, does that mean we talk constantly? No. But we are constantly available. We are constantly interested. We are constantly prepared. And so, when my wife makes a comment, and I'm ready to engage that. And so, this constancy in prayer, uh, driven by abiding in Christ and abiding in his word. Now, there's a dilemma here. And uh, because I skipped a little part, and that's in verse 6. I skipped the part about getting uh, cut off from the vine and burnt up. Now, when you read through some commentaries about this, you're going to find uh, some very different ideas. We're going to have some people say he's not talking about salvation at all here. Uh, He's just talking about a victorious Christian life, that you're going to lose the joy of your salvation, but you're not going to lose your salvation. Others will say, uh, no, this is about salvation and uh, that you're losing your salvation. Others say, well, this is just communicating those who didn't really believe and did not uh, really get saved. And uh, so you have this whole gamut that you could choose from. And uh, you might have chosen differently than me, uh, but from what I understand here, this is really a a serious matter. This is not just about uh, you can still get into heaven and live this scrawny little pathetic life. What Jesus Christ has described here is death. Dead and destroyed by fire. You don't abide in Christ, you are cut off. Notice, not pruned. Pruning is something the Father does to increase fruitfulness. And we're going to talk about that a lot more next week. But I want to address this because you are cut off. It says there in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, notice that the primary, the first decision is by the someone. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gathered them, gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And so this is describing something pretty serious. If he is the vine and I am the branch, and I don't want to abide in him, I extract myself from the vine, I will wither up, they will gather me up, and burn me up. Now, this is really correlated really well with the parable of, the first parable of Christ, well, the first parable of Christ, which is the sower and the soils and the seed. Um, remember the parable, Jesus Christ broadcast, or, I'm sorry, not Jesus Christ, the sower broadcast seed. Some lands on the roadside, some lands in rocky soil, some lands in weedy soil, some lands in good soil. So you have four places. The rocky stuff never gets received, it gets, take out the birds, eat it, it's gone. It it penetrates it, none at all. And there are many times you're going to share the gospel with people, it will not penetrate them at all. Just completely blow it off, they won't think about it five minutes after you're gone. And so there's no real question there. The other question, the one question, though, is about the rocky ones. And the weedy ones and the good soil, we're pretty confident that there's a a belief system because there's a plant there. One is unproductive, which brings us to next week, uh, that doesn't bear fruit. And so that's why the connection between this statement and that parable and so there's an unfruitfulness in the Christian life. That's not what verse 6 is describing. He's not describing unfruitfulness. He's describing that the branch itself withers and dies. And so when we're talking about this, we, are, we, we want to take this very seriously. I'm not just going to tell you you're not going to have a victorious Christian life, but you're still going to have a Christian life. What Christ here is communicating is that if you don't have this abiding faith, this, this, this remaining in me, if you don't stay connected, you extract yourself from that. Please notice that. If anyone does not abide in me, it doesn't say God expels you. It says you extract yourself. And you can read Hebrews and the warning passages of Hebrews. What are you doing? You read Galatians and the warning passages of Galatians. Again and again, we take this very seriously, and it is frightening when we sit on the bench of eternal security and ignore all of these warnings. Do I believe in eternal security? Yes. With the same conditions that John spoke about it. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, he wrote a bunch of things, and that was at the end of 1 John. That was 1 John 5, when he said that, I write these things so that you may know you have eternal life. So that means that there are some things I need in my life to know I have eternal life. One of those things is that I keep his commandments. One of those things is I love God. One of those things is I love the brethren. One of those things is I remain in him. That's how I know because I define it is defining who I am. And there is endurance there. Remember, saving faith is enduring faith. And so the unfruitful Christian and the fruitful Christian, they're Christians, and, but there's that rocky soil in that, in that parable that is unnerving. Kind of like this verse in John 15 that we need to take more seriously. If you choose not to remain in Christ, you extract yourself from the vine, you will wither, and you will be gathered up and burned with fire. That does not describe unfruitfulness. That describes death and punishment. In the rocky soil, something happens. Germination occurs. And a little sprout points out. Now, I'm a bit of a gardener. Not like Mrs. Fry here, but I'm a bit of a gardener. And I love seeing the little, when that thing breaks open, I, I, I go out and look at my dirt. And I'm looking for soil starting to crack that says that there's a little something coming up. And then, but I've been warned, don't push the dirt away because the plant needs to do the work of pushing the soil up unless it's caliche like we get sometimes in my garden. (sighs) I'm working better at that. And we love that little plant, but we recognize the vulnerability of that little sprout, don't we? Well, that's what happened in the soil called the rocky soil it germinated, it sprouted, and we are all excited, and we might even baptize them and say they're Christian. We're all thrilled for that little sprout, but something happens. It doesn't last. In that parable, what exposes the vulnerability of the sprout is the sun. The heat of tribulation, which is going to be in a couple, three weeks. I think I'll get to it before we leave for India, I'm hoping. But uh, three, four weeks, it'll be there. If we don't get it then, it'll be like eight weeks from now. But we're going to talk about the persecution, the fire, the heat of tribulation that God's word describes, not God against us, but the world against us. A persecution, the world hates him, they should hate us. And so when we get that, and here's this little sprout in this rocky soil, and the sun comes up, and it's a hot day, and there isn't shade, and there isn't water, the sprout withers and dies. And Jesus says, because it has no root. What we're talking about here of remaining in Christ is about having a rooted faith in him that endures. And that's why I am always ready to caution people, having prayed the sinner prayer, to think that now you've got that box checked in your life and you can go out and do whatever you like and you are guaranteed heaven. That kind of easy believism is not what the apostles taught. It is not what Jesus taught. It is not what God's word teaches. It is faithfulness following of jesus christ that we abide and we remain in him we are constant and we are rooted in him we are connected to the vine and we will not extract ourselves from it we will not disentangle ourselves from it but we will wrap our roots around him aggressively and say this is my savior this is my god this is my lord this is my master this is my friend this is my everything Oh, that we would come to Christ in this fashion. And this is what we seek to do in discipleship models is we try to say, you are a little sprout, but you have no roots. And so you have believed in perhaps the works or the words, but now you really need to fully engage Jesus Christ in your life. And we need to have the same caution that the apostles had that we understand these verses of eternal security are at the end of the books, not at the beginning. I write these things so that you can know they're all conditioned upon our faithfulness and here Jesus says you're gonna have you have to abide you cannot miss the ifs if, if 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 all through here if you abide if you abide if you bear fruit if you do not abide I mean you cannot miss it those are conditional statements that are put upon our shoulders We have to abide. God has already done this work. He has laid the foundation. He has sent the Son. The Son has obeyed God. He has provided the means. He has has laid out the sacrifice. He has gained victory over death. He he has sent His Holy Spirit. He has done His part. He calls upon us to do ours. Abide in Him. This is a command from God to you. And it's to foolishness for you to think that, well, if God doesn't keep me, then there's nothing I can do to stay in him. Well, God wants all men everywhere to come to repentance, and he wants all those who believe in him to follow after him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the will of God. Any student of God's word should be able to communicate and understand that. And so there is a reality here that we cannot let our theological niceties prevent us from considering seriously am I in my walk with God maturing not mature maturing Am I rooting myself in his word, in his spirit, in him? Fruitfulness will be the evidence of abiding. The unfruitful Christian is one to be warned. And we've stopped doing that. I don't know if it's because of political correctness or what, but we've stopped warning unfruitful Christians. And we're going to talk about that fruitfulness next week. We cannot sit on a little park bench of our doctrine of eternal security, put our feet up, and take a nap, spiritually. Spiritually it is just too dangerous. It is a risk that no theologian, no pastor, no Christian should take. Certainly the apostles didn't. Jesus Christ doesn't take that here. He's already lost one of 12. He doesn't want to lose anymore. Abide in me. And my words abide in you. For he is the true vine. There's a lot of false ones, but there's only one true one. And we need to remain in him, he in us, because we are powerless without him. So we rely fully upon him. Not only in his works, certainly in his word, but in him himself as our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. Lord, you've given us an instruction and a warning. And we thank you for both. Lord, certainly the desire of each one here is to abide in you. That your word might abide in us. This is why we gather. But Lord, we also know that there was one who walked with you for the entirety of your ministry and then forsook you and re- and betrayed you. Lord, we pray that your Spirit might work in our spirits to examine ourselves and to consider our ways of whether we are taking the measures necessary in our spiritual lives to. Assure that we're abiding in you. Lord, we pray that it might be evident to those around us that you are what defines us. And Lord, we pray that as we make decisions throughout this week that we might seek to apply your word first and foremost the issues of life that we might walk in accordance with them and Lord we do pray that you might remind us by your spirit to guard our hearts that we might not ever consider or take any course of action that would unroot us from the vine Thank you for your promises. We recognize the conditions of those promises that fall on our shoulders. We know that you are faithful and good, and we rejoice in that, and we know that you have the power and provision to care for everything we need. Lord, help us to trust fully in you every day, all day. Christ Jesus' name we pray.